kids don't want to fail. Kids don't want to be F students. Kids want to succeed. All right, so let, let's start by talking about your day. So you've come, it's the end of a teaching day. It is. And a work day. So tell me a little bit, start by telling me a little bit about the day that you had today with your students. Okay. Well, I am teaching from home. And um, so I've set up a really big green screen in my office, which is super fun because I actually, I, I teach film. That's one of the things, one of the topics I teach my eighth graders. So I like to change my Zoom background every day. And so my kids like to guess, like, where, where I am today. They always, you know, we make fun things up. It's kind of the way I start the day. It has to do with my Zoom background. Um, so today I teach um, computer graphics, and I taught my film class. And I have about five, I have five classes. Uh, so we are learning um, Photoshop right now in, with my seventh graders. And I didn't think that I was, I thought it was going to be so hard to teach that virtually. But, you know, it turns out that it's, it's a great subject. I mean, my kids love digital graphics. They really do. And it's not that different from being in the classroom. The, the key with students, in my experience, is that you have to pay attention to each student and figure out what they need. And I think with the in the digital environment, it's a little harder. You have to come up with different techniques to do that. And so I've been experimenting with for a couple of months to get that right. And I I've, you know, I've been finding things that work for the kids for oh, each good. one. I'm going to I'm going to ask you a mm -hmm. lot more about that because okay. I think you came into this situation that we're in during a pandemic with some yeah. unique expertise and also experiences that I think could be really helpful to other other teachers. So, well, I'm lucky in that way yeah. because I've been teaching this way for a long time, and I I do have an advantage in that I've taught on a computer for you know almost 20 years, using a computer to teach kids on computers. So, you know, it wasn't a big shift for me. The you know other than not seeing the kids' screens, there's really not you know a lot of difference from what I was doing in the classroom, um, and even the techniques that I use to teach, I don't think that there's a you know I using Canvas for example, I love it, yeah. <laughs> but it's very um, very much the way I always taught. I just use different tools, putting together modules and putting together units. Um, kind of more project-based and real organized. And, and I did that already. So it, it's been an easy transition, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear you talk about it in that way, too, because having been, you know, dropped into your classroom a couple times over time, um, I would expect you, it to feel more different to be teaching from home because I also know that you have relationships with students that you use your own proximity to students. You are active in your classroom, even the few times that I've gotten to see that. And so it seems like it would feel really different as a teacher, but maybe because you're so skilled, 
with the technology that you're just able to, you've been able to really pivot, as we like to say, into this environment and it not feel so, so different to you. Well, that's, that's very sweet that you say that. I, I, I really believe one of the keys is relationships with kids. And again, I mean, I'm so lucky that I already knew my kids going into this year uh, because I teach in a magnet. So sixth grade, uh, I have my sixth graders from last year, my seventh graders, and then my seventh graders from last year are now my eighth graders. So um, I already had developed relationships with these kids, and I think that that was a big advantage. And, you know, if I were to look at education overall and, and say that what could we do differently, the thing, one thing that I would really love is that, you know, that, that following those kids from year to year has made such a difference for me. And whenever that's possible, I think that that's an amazing thing to be able to do because I know their parents. I've been able to, to call their parents and say, you know, so-and-so is not you know, showing up in Zoom, they, they log in, but they're not there. And I can tell because I know how they, I know their voice, I know how they interact, I, I can tell when they're not on mm-hmm. today, right? Whereas if you don't know your kids, that's really hard, yeah. whether you're in school or you're, you know, right. online. Right. Yeah, I could, I could see the benefit of that, especially for a middle school teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those middle school years are so um, just developmental and also challenging for students and for teachers too. So I could see the, the benefit of knowing them over time and how much that could, could matter to you. So we're here to celebrate you as one of our teachers of the year and to talk a little bit about what that has meant to you and to just have you reflect on, on your career um, as a means of inspiring other teachers. So tell us a little bit about, tell me a little bit about the experience of going through the Teacher of the Year application process and what it, what it meant to you as a teacher um, and maybe some lessons that you learned along the way. Hmm, okay. Well, um, so I'd been nominated before um, a couple of times and I had not decided to go through with the process. So it, uh, for anybody who's not familiar with how Teacher of the Year works, you're nominated by um, somebody. They don't always tell you who. It could be a principal or a colleague, uh, even a parent or a student. And um, then they send you information on how to actually apply for the process. So just to not being nominated isn't enough. You, once you're nominated, you really have to – there's a lot of um, essays to write, um, letters of recommendation, and um, it's a pretty long process. Um, and I finally, I guess, decided to do it, number one, because I was home in quarantine and I wasn't doing anything mm-hmm. else. And I thought, well, if you know, it, it has been a long career and I, I do a lot of things in my classroom. Do I think I'm the best teacher in Long Beach? Not by a long shot, but I think that there's, um, there's just good things that are in my classroom going on and, and I thought I would just love to share it. I think that's really what it was about. I, I, I am in a very unique position, and I thought that it would be really cool. Well, I loved reading your application because part of it caused you to go back and think about why you went into teaching, right? I was um, just love some of the stories that you told. So tell us, tell, tell me, <laughs> us and the, the listeners, um, the story of what got you into teaching and some of those early years as you talked about camp and other experiences you <laughs> yeah. had as a young child that really brought you into education. Well, um, when I was a kid, I, um, one thing, I always had to do something for the summer. We always had to go 
you know, to summer camp, do something like that. So when I was about 12, um, I signed up to be a counselor in training at um, the zoo camp in Santa Barbara. So there's a little tiny cute zoo in Santa Barbara. And they, uh, they had a camp there. I don't know if it's still there, but... Um, you know, where kids, where they'd have little tribes of kids and, and a camp counselor who was probably in education, and we were the junior counselors. And I remember so vividly, because it was my first experience of any type of real job, I think they paid us a, I don't know, $75 a month or something. And I loved that the, one of my tasks as, as a junior counselor was to take the kids to an animal, like my little group of 15 kids, and teach them about the animal. This is the elephant, and elephants are herbivores, and elephants, you know, live in this, uh, you know, country. Um, and I'd have all the five-year-old boys. And then for the rest of the day, we would do crafts about elephants, and we would, you know, play games, duck, duck, elephant, and, and it would be really fun. And I just remember thinking that it was so unique and novel to be able to teach kids this way. And I loved the attention that the kids gave me. I loved being them looking up to me. So every summer since then, I was a camp counselor. And it was that was a very memorable year. And do you think you knew early on that you wanted to actually be a, a teacher? I don't, it didn't really occur to me. I, at that point, I don't remember thinking, oh, I'm going to teach. I am an artist, and I always wanted to paint and draw. Um, when I started out in college, I actually was an art major. And what's really interesting is that I kept going back to teaching in that I would, and I would teach art or I would go to a camp and I would teach crafts. And it just always came about that way. And what do I teach now? I teach graphics. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it ended up really working out. So when do you think you knew you wanted to be a teacher? taking all these early experiences and then when did you when did you realize that you were going to be a teacher it was sometime in college when i actually said it to myself that wow this is this I, there really isn't anything else that i've been preparing for all this time and you know you go to college and you're undecided and you're just like i don't know what am i going to do what am i going to do and it was it just it was such a natural fit i couldn't believe that i hadn't been doing that all along and ever since I, it, it just, you know, some people you see, they come into teaching and you ask, hmm, I wonder if this person is really cut out for it because not everybody is. And that was never the case with me. It was always, it's been harder. Um, there's been some years that were super hard, mm -hmm. but there was never a time when I said, yeah, this isn't the job for me. I don't think I'm going to stick with it. Do you have recollections of the early years of being a teacher, those first, say, five years even? And oh, yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you remember? Oh, yeah, I remember. So I actually started as a first grade teacher, if that isn't interesting. Mm -hmm. I have a um, multiple subject credential. And, you know, I thought that I was, I, and I did love it. I did love it. I, what I really loved about being a first grade teacher was all the stuff. The cute classroom, the uh, cute dresses I would wear, all the jewelry, and just the fact that, you know, when it was um, St. Patrick's Day, I could tell the kids that 
St. Patrick was going to come and leave out little clovers, and mm. they'd believe me. And it was a sense of wonder. Yes, it yeah. was so cool. And I, I remember just thinking that I could, I can tell these guys just, you know, and they believe me, and it was so fun. And but a lot of my early career, I remember, was so focused on stuff, um, realia, and books, and and you know, little areas in my room and groups. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it felt very overwhelming. I remember as a new teacher, I mean, being a new teacher is overwhelming no matter what. But being a new teacher in first grade, or and imagine it's the same in kindergarten and second grade too, it's so overwhelming because of the, you know, just all the stuff. You've got to have uh, you know, blocks and and the beans and the count. Yeah, everything and, has to be mm-hmm. has to be done. And I remember just being caught up in that a lot. And the lesson planning itself was not. Um, I, I just one. I look back and I say I just don't think I was very good at it, or I wasn't as good as I am now. And I think what's changed is I don't need any stuff to do a lesson now. Mm. Um, I feel that my technique is better, that mm-hmm. I have, the, that my pedagogy has evolved mm-hmm. to where I can make a really interesting lesson without tons of stuff. Um, yeah, so talk about that. I'm, I'm always just super fascinated with how a teacher thinks about his or her, the creation of what they do. I often refer to the magic of a classroom, which is I see your eyes light up, and I think mm-hmm. you know that's what you're thinking about too. So, when you're thinking about how you're going to teach tomorrow, what are some mm-hmm. of the things that you think about? Not the stuff, mm-hmm. but what you're going to do. Well, I always start off with what do I want them to know. In the end, what is it that I want them to walk away with? Um, I mean, it, it it always kind of goes back to that, and then I always go to the second thing is how am I? I mean. I, I know I've learned these things over the years, but it didn't sink in, really. You know, when you look at a lesson plan and it says, okay, what's your objective? What's your formative assessment? What's your this and that? It feels like it's ticking off a box. Now I'm going to think of a way to do formative assessment. Uh, what does that mean? But I kind of look at it like, you know, what, it, what do I want them to walk away with? What's, what's important and if it, if there's nothing, if I can't come up with something, then then I need to scrap it because mm. this isn't, you know, what I should be teaching. Or if it's not leading to something down the line, like maybe today's lesson isn't. And that's another thing I think I've learned over the years. Every single lesson doesn't have to be earth-shaking, but it may be le- leading to something later in the week that I really need them to know. But in order to get there, they have to know this, this, and this. Right, and you have to be thinking beyond the day yes. where you're where you're taking your students. Exactly, and they don't always get it. And sometimes I just have to say, just stick with me. But um, but yeah, that's I think what my head always starts with is what do they need to know? And if it's a complicated process, like for example, right now I'm teaching filmmaking. I have a filmmaking class. It's the whole quarter, mm-hmm. and you know, there's. It, there's so much involved in making a film and you have, you know, it's like you can't just sit down with a bunch of, you know, with a camera, go out and shoot a bunch of footage, put it together and make a film. So there's, there's all these little baby steps along the way, you know, what the, the film shots and camera movement and sound. And so everything is all these little lessons. Um, and then within that, we've got to dig down into what about those little things 
do they need to know in order to put it into the bigger picture? So a lot of planning. It's a lot of planning. And I spend so much time even now planning. Um, How do you do it? I mean, to talk about your, how you actually like set things out and plan or a process that you use that might be helpful for, for other teachers who just want to add to their own toolkit in terms of planning. Well, you know what's funny? I still use a writing, a written plan book. I have 27 plan books, mm. 27 years of plan career. books. I can go wow. back. I have a stack of them. And they're all in my classroom. And I could go back and pick up my very first year of plan mm. books. So there's, I don't know if anybody, I know there's a couple teachers who I've talked to and they're like, yeah, me too. I still have that, that right. And even though I do almost everything on the computer, like the lesson plans themselves are all on the computer, um, but th- my plan book is what keeps me straight day to day, like how I'm going to plan my day okay. and how um, it also helps me keep track of where I'm going and mm. where I'm headed. Because I think when I'm on the computer, I'm much more focused at the more smaller pieces mm-hmm. Like today's a film shot lesson, and what do I want them to know, these X film shots and why they're important. But what's the big, you know, where am I headed? And I, so I like to write that out. Um, but what I, I do really love to, to do a lot of my stuff on the computer. Mm-hmm. So I, when I used Google Classroom, I used to create units. Mm. And I would do um, like a lesson, like a an assignment per slide, and I would have them in these really great unit plans that I would set up for the kids. And the kids knew how to access this unit plan. Um, We would work with one unit plan for weeks, Mm -hmm. and it was all one slide deck. Mm -hmm. And um, I think my unit plans, I I spent a lot of time uh, talking about these when I applied for Teacher of the Year, and I I think that it was something that... um, I'm very proud of the way I had organized and created my units over the years. Uh, what's really great about that is that I would go back and they were there the next year mm-hmm. and I could, you know, you could add to them. Add to them. And, and there were links in there that would connect with other things and it would go to movies and I would have, you know, so it was, it was very comprehensive. What I love about Canvas is that Canvas has, I, I, when I saw Canvas, I went, Oh, somebody else had the same idea as me. Mm. <laughs> I'm not so smart after all. It's, you know, right? So, yeah, so modules and assignments, all of that is built right into Canvas. So it's been really uh, cool to, to kind of take my unit plans and transfer them into Canvas. So it's been a lot of work this year, kind of nav, and I know it has been that for everybody. So, you know, we're all moving everything into Canvas. And But I love that, that you have the, the written plans. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like journals of, they your, are. of your teaching Oh, and career. I'll make little notes on there about the kids and, you know, talk to so-and-so's parents today. And so I love that I have that. And I can go back weeks and see, wait, I have talked to this parent three times. And so it's, I think it's just a really great way of keeping track of what's going on. Yeah, in your, just in your own handwriting, yeah. in your own way of kind of thinking things through. Yeah, And then the next year, I'll pull out this year's plan book and I'll look at my order of things and it just helps me keep it straight and get it get it done for next year. That's great. I can see. I can just imagine that you using those tools. So um, you, when we were first talking, you were sharing about engaging students. And that's, I know, a topic that has been really um, 
It has been really challenging for students, I mean, for teachers in this environment of having to teach at a distance. And as this pandemic has gone on longer, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a month, it's not two months. Now we're seven months out from having to close schools. And um, I've heard a lot of teachers talk about cameras off and mm-hmm. students that just aren't engaged. So whether you think of it as advice or just sharing your experience, talk a little bit about how you have managed beyond just the relationships. You talked a little bit about relationships. Mm-hmm. What are some of the techniques that you use and how have you really pushed relationships in this distance environment? Well, I I think the number one thing, other than obviously talk, I, I talk to the kids and I'll, I'll pull them into breakout rooms. I'll talk to them individually. Um, if I need to, you know, if something's going on with them. But I think the relationship with the parents is, uh, it's, it's more now than ever before. Um, calling the, the and it, it set certain examples in my classroom where, um, you know, certain people, they're there, I, they're, they're in class, nothing's being turned in or very little is being turned in. Um, and I'm trying to talk to the student and they, you know, and I'm sure other teachers will relate to this. They, they, you know, they log off or they, um, they turn off their camera and they, you know, will te- you know, write in the chat, um, I can't hear you. My, um, it's not working or they, they just, they're not engaging mm-hmm. and you, you know that there's something going on, you mm-hmm. know that. So I think talking to the parents, um, it makes a huge difference in getting to the bottom of that. Um, there, I don't know that there are any, there's no secret. I, unfortunately, I wish I had an answer that could, that was the right answer. Um, the more I, I really do push for the kids to have their cameras on Mm -hmm. because I really do need to see them and talk to them, but I let them turn them off, you know, throughout the, the period too. So they can feel like they have some ownership. Um, well, I think I appreciate your authenticity in talking about it because mm-hmm. I think it's a frustrating subject for many teachers. Mm-hmm. And I worry that teachers personalize that and they think, you know, no matter what I try, that there's, you know, they still can't get to every student. And mm-hmm. so. And I would, I, that's no matter what yeah. I try, there are definitely some students in my classes that I have not been able to reach or. Parents won't communicate, won't return phone calls, won't, and, you know, the kids are there or not, and you just can't reach them. And I, I would love an answer to that question, too, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, I'm not really so. sure that there's, you know, I know some, some administrators are doing home visits. Um, I do try to make the classes fun and as much as possible. You know, I know that there's, uh, there's times when, you know, you just got to show up and work. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. other times when, yeah, at least breaking up the day and doing, you know, we got to do work in this amount of time, but we can have fun over here. Mm-hmm. One thing I do is I do let my kids work in class. So I am not teaching the whole period. I don't, I, I think I've done that. Great. That is good. That's good to hear. And yes. I would want to encourage other teachers who listen to this to really think about that class period as a time for students, just like if you were in your building. Absolutely. You would, walk around, you would offer support, but you wouldn't necessarily be teaching the whole Well, time. and that's what I'm doing when I'm in that virtual setting is, uh, so I have, you know, I'll have 15 or 20 minutes of whatever I, whatever we're doing. And then we're, I'm project-based. So typically we're working on a project or, so, you know, and that's when they're working on it. But what I'll do 
is I go through the line, you know, so-and-so, show me your screen. Show me your screen. What are you up to? What you're doing? So the whole time I'm questioning kids and asking them to show me what they're working on. And inevitably you'll get to somebody who says, well, you know, I can't. I can't show you my screen, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's when you need to clue into, okay, there's something going on here. They haven't done it or um, they don't know how. Um, so you, it, it, I always kind of go with, if they don't know how, it's probably me. I mean, I always start with that and then, you know, go from there. Mm -hmm. Just, okay, let's go into a breakout just. room. Let's find five kids who also need this. Mm. We'll go into a breakout room and I'll reteach. Yeah. So I have no problem leaving the class. Go leave the, they're doing fine. Mm -hmm. I'll leave them. I'll take the five kids into the breakout room and I'll teach the whole lesson again. Mm. Yeah, that differentiation mm -hmm. that we know is part of being a, a great teacher. So it's interesting. I've I've heard a um, a number of teachers talk about kind of the public nature of teaching in this distance environment. So where your classroom feels like a more private space and you have so much more control over the environment, teaching at a distance sometimes there's a family in the background mm. or there's a. So thinking about that from a positive perspective, mm -hmm. have you had um, any interactions with families behind the student screen that has supported? either the student or just been an unexpected um, addition to, to your regular teaching? Yeah, I've had, some, I've had some good things happen. I haven't, um, I know some teachers have, had, you know, I'm online or whatever, I've seen teachers say, oh my gosh, this crazy thing happened. I haven't had any crazy. I haven't had any, you know, uh, disturbing things in the backgrounds or, or anything like that. I've, I guess I've been lucky, but, um, but yeah, I have, uh, sometimes I'll, you know, I'll, I'll call out a kid and say, hey, so-and-so, you know, um, do you need help? I can tell that this isn't working out for you. And I'll hear the parent chime in and say, you know, do you need help? Or did you, uh, how, are you listening to her or something mm -hmm, like that? Mm -hmm. So that can tell the parents are involved. Um, I've had other parents, um, you know, that are, are really monitoring their kids, making sure they're not playing games, um, and things like that. So, you know, I've had some really vigilant parents, which is awesome, really involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so does it feel, it, is there a, a feeling of this being very public that feels um, stressful to you? Or does it just feel like your classroom has extended? Oh, yeah. I don't, I, it doesn't, of... that doesn't bother me at all. I, I, I mean, honestly, I feel like there's nothing I could say to the kids that I wouldn't say in front of their parents under normal circumstances. Mm -hmm. So, I don't feel that. Um, I'd say that it's a nice monitoring of myself that, you know, because, I mean, we all get exasperated. We all get angry. And, you know, there's, there's absolutely no moment when I would lose my temper or get, you know, upset with, you know, this just, that's just not going to happen. So it's, it's that extra layer of, of monitoring of my own behavior, if nothing mm -hmm. else. But I'm... Um, I really never am worried when somebody's watching me. It, it feels like, if nothing else, then, you know, they get to see what their kid's learning. Yes, <laughs> I cool. know. I've, I've just thought so many times watching teachers in a virtual classroom and just listening to the voice of teachers. I have a hope that part of what gets elevated in the future is the impact of a teacher. When oh, our gosh, families yes. have had... In, in many cases, they've had a, a seat at the table to mm -hmm. watch 
teaching, to see the impact on their own children. And one of my hopes is that there's a value for teaching and teachers that comes out of this that, that parents may have not been able to observe before. They yeah. S- they see that. And so... I know. I, I, have a, I have a wonderful neighbor who has two little boys and, uh, you know, she's, you know, tells me how hard it is just with two maybe first and second grade, first and third graders. And I can't, you know, sh- and so... It is, I don't know what it's like from a parent's perspective of an elementary school student because their attention span, it's, I remember in first grade, you know, you couldn't do a lesson longer than 20 minutes. You had to be moving just constantly. Uh, At least the middle school kids, they, you know, I'm not saying it's easy, but I can keep them engaged for 40 minutes and Mm -hmm. 50 minutes. But those elementary kids, I I don't know how they're keeping them in front of the computers. That's got to be really tough. A lot of movement and a lot of mm-hmm. breaks and yes. transitions, but you are a mom. Yes, I am a mom. And so you have a student who's mm-hmm. learning at home, just like yes. you're teaching at home. Yes. And so how does that shape your perspective as a teacher? It's interesting. I actually get to observe other teachers' classes, which, I mean, mm. I've done that at a middle school level, but I've never done it at the high school level. Um, yes, so she goes to Millican. And so I get to, to listen in on, on her classes a little bit sometimes when I have a break because I have my conference period in the middle of the day when she's right in school. So I'll come out and work on the couch and listen to her classes. So it is interesting. Um, I, you know, sometimes look at the the things they're doing and I get ideas and and other times I think hmm I wonder if if you know they thought of this or you know there's it's interesting when you're watching other people teach mm-hmm. but uh overall I just it's just a challenge for everybody right now it is but there's some interesting there's some great things going on and there's some really uh you know the kids are involved yeah so speaking of great things so in a, think about um, the collaboration that happens at your school site or I know that you have relationships with teachers across the district including at central office how have you used this time just to to collaborate with others or to to make the best of it but beyond your own classroom Well it is really hard to that I think that is one of the most difficult things right now is the isolation because yeah, I mean, I spend all day in my own house, in my own office with these kids, whereas at school, I always kind of felt like it was a pretty insular job. I was in my own classroom with my students, but at least at lunch, yeah. at conference period, you know, during breaks, you'd see other people, you go to the office, and now, you know, it, it has been hard. Um I, I text my, you know, teachers. Mm-hmm. I have been a trainer. I, I'm, a, I'm a Canvas trainer, so I you know, get to go online after school and, and work with teachers, and that's fun. Um, but it is an easy collaboration right now. Mm-hmm. I think we're all kind of, you know, just coming up with ideas of what to do and, and sharing them the best we can. And everybody's teaching at the same time. Exactly. And to, right, it does. I mean, I think that's the hardest thing. It's like sometimes when I was at school, when I wanted to talk to a teacher, I knew when their conference period was – um, I have, have a wonderful partner teacher that I worked with for years and years, and we always had either a common conference period or at least lunch, and we bounced, I mean, so many ideas off of each other. It was cons- It was like, oh, I know how you could do that better. Here's an idea. Show me that lesson, and let me tell you how you can improve it. I mean, we were always doing things like that, 
And I don't have that here. So I think that that is really one of the biggest things that's missing in this environment is that collaboration that you just don't even realize you're using all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and the isolation, as mm-hmm. you described it, that really just um, does something to our psyches to be isolated as well, too. I mean, I think it's, it's the nature of a teacher to interact and to just be um, obviously working with students all day, but it really, it really takes something away when you isolate yourself. Does. Not, not on purpose, that you're in an isolated situation, I think is a better way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as teachers in this career, we, we're used to it, but um, you don't realize how much you get out of uh, the little interactions you have and, and how much collaboration, you know, I mean, we have been doing things uh, through meetings and Zoom and stuff, but it's that real, that real in-person collaboration that mm-hmm. really matters, I think part of a culture of a school mm-hmm. to be to be in person. So share a few of your digital tips <laughs> that might be useful to teachers. You mentioned, I think, earlier in the conversation about teaching, being a Canvas trainer. Mm-hmm. I know you're also someone who may be mentoring other teachers across the district and participating in our upcoming Ignite sessions. What are some things that have been really helpful to you as a teacher, either tools or techniques that you think others would like to just hear a little bit about. Okay. Well, I recently, in fact, just this week, um, did a uh, workshop for my staff on Studio. So Studio is a tool. The district was so had so much forethought in purchasing the Studio add-on to Canvas. So it's, it's actually a uh, it's on that global menu that's on the side. And it's where you can cultivate your own um, media. So you can either pull in YouTube videos that you might want to sort into classroom sets or, uh, or you can make your own. So it has the ability to record right there. So you know, people are using Screencastify or, or some other tool, but Canvas has it built right in. And I don't know that a lot of people know that. Um, you can record your own screen. You can, uh, so if you're, teaching the students how to do something in Google, for example, you can record it. But what I love about Studio the best is that from those videos, you can make a quiz. So it's like, if you're familiar with Edpuzzle, that's a, that's Mm -hmm. a similar, okay, but that's an outside uh, app. You can do that right in Canvas. So you've got your video, either from YouTube or one that you created. You want to make sure your kids watch it, okay? Mm -hmm. So this is that maybe that asynchronous time, Mm -hmm. or maybe you want them to do it for homework, like a flipped classroom. So then you come back the next day, and you do have the conversation about the topic. The kids don't watch it. I'm here Mm -hmm. to tell you right now, they don't watch Mm -hmm. it, okay? Everybody out there listening is laughing because they know it's true. <laughs> so this is a really great tool because it you can add in questions along the video at different points as they're watching the video. And then at the end, if they have to click submit in order to get the points, and it goes right into your grade book in Canvas. Wow. Super So cool. it's an asynchronous check for understanding slash formative assessment. It can be formative assessment. It can be a regular assessment. Yeah. It can, yes, it's awesome. Neat. Yeah, and then there's other things in studio that can easily be a formative assessment. Really, really great tool. So that's one of my favorites, my new favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what's, what's um, 
you mentioned that you had applied or put in your um, your information about teaching an Ignite class. What what were you? I'm definitely going to do. I'm going to do that one. And then, um, so I am a huge Google fan. Um, I'm glad we switched away from Google Classroom, but I use the Google tools a lot. And one tool that I feel is very underutilized is Google Draw. Uh, So. I have actually used Google. Have That's you? Funny, yeah. So many teachers haven't. And when I um, when I introduce it, they are so excited because it, it really has some fabulous, fabulous uses. Um, so I make all of my handouts, things that like you, if I'm going to show the kids how to do something and I want to show them step by step. I'll make a Google Google Draw, and then you can just embed it right in Canvas. Um, What's really a cool, single image, so the screen single, that you're drawing on. Yes. Yeah. So if I, I can, you can put screenshots in. You can put images from the web. You can annotate, like put text on there, and it lines everything up and so it, nicely yes. and doesn't distort the images. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So the tools are very much like they would be in slides. But one of the things I like about it is. Um, it you can size it any size you want. So if you want, which you, you can also do that in slides, but I really like that you can make it long and skinny. So if you want a long skinny document that you want to put like in your canvas with like a list of oh, instructions, great. I also teach I teach my kids how to draw in there. So mm-hmm. I mean that's one of the first things in my graphics class we use. I, there's just there's so many things I do. So Google Draw is one of my favorite tools. And I, I definitely uh, love to show teachers that they're always really uh, excited when they learn Google Draw. So 27 years of teaching, right? 27. Uh-huh, 27. This is 27 this year. Yeah, so you and I started in Long Beach Unified around the same time. Really? Yeah. Tw- so I'm 28 years. I okay. started teaching 28 years ago. And what a journey. Like you, different journey, yeah. but a journey. When you think back on your evolution as a teacher... You talked a little bit about the early years mm-hmm. and then kind of fast forward to, to now. Um, what are some of the biggest lessons learned that you might encourage a newer teacher to just mm-hmm. know, to be patient with and to mm-hmm. know this is coming or this is going to get easier or just kind of your lessons over time? Well, one piece of advice I, might, I would give a new teacher that I wish that I had known and now I think things might have changed, like maybe at the university, but I was given no instruction in classroom management. I had no idea how to manage a classroom when I started teaching. And all the advice that I was given, I mean, again, it was also before YouTube when I started. Right. <laughs> there was no right. internet no back internet. then, too. Right. This was the wild, wild west, right? We had to use the paper plan book because that's, you did, what, that's, that's all, all there that existed, was, right? right? Um so I would say, tell teachers to read The First Day of School by Harry Wong. It's an mm-hmm. oldie, but it's a good, yes. it's a great, great book. I've, I've read it several times every time, like every couple of years, I feel like I need to, to read that or something along those lines. Um, study restorative justice. I have been studying that now for the last couple of years with a, a cohort at my school and um, it didn't take it, it it's taken a while to get to get it but i feel that understanding some of those methods of um listening beyond discipline and punishment i would say a really big aha moment and i don't remember when it happened 
probably more recently than it should have been, is really recognizing that when kids are not doing well, when they don't, um, they, they're not turning in work, not doing well, they're not doing that on purpose. Kids don't want to fail. Kids don't want to be F students. Kids want to succeed. No matter what you see on the outside, no matter what behavior they're displaying, um, you have to approach every student from that perspective. Uh, they don't want to hurt people. They don't want to bully. They don't want to... Uh, whatever it is they're doing, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're doing it for a reason that is maybe beyond your understanding, but it's not because they want to. Um, it's not because they're trying to humiliate you as a teacher or they're trying to say this is, it's not personal. And I think that understanding that, um, that kids don't, haven't learned the skill yet of, being good or behaving well or, you know, whatever it is that they're missing. I think that was a huge kind of uh, eye-opening experience for me when I really realized they weren't doing it on purpose, but they didn't know how to do anything else because that's all they had a life experience mm -hmm. that just was not allowing them to be the, their best selves mm -hmm. in the situation. That's what? all they knew and they, nobody had ever taught them differently. And it's not, I'm not saying that makes it any easier, but I am saying that in my own head, it changed the way I looked at that child and it changed the way I felt about that child as far as not personalizing it and not making it, um, you know, it's not always easy to like every kid. And it's, you have, so that I think it's really important to, to look at it differently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's sit with that for a, a moment, just um, when thinking about your own kind of transformation from the re restorative justice experience. It's something I've studied mm -hmm. as well, too. And um, what changed in your classroom? Can you give a few specific examples of what changed in your classroom? And I'm, I'm really interested because um, our work as a district mm -hmm. in excellence and equity and putting those two things together, the high expectations for students and quality teaching and knowing that we have to do something different for some mm -hmm. students who need supports, need a different approach, need a different kind of acceptance to get them to excellence. That's how those two things go together for me. And in your teaching way, you described that. But you also described um, a different kind of awareness on, in, inside yourself mm -hmm. that then allowed, allows you to interact with your students differently. So talk about some of maybe their techniques, maybe their maybe it's self-talk, things that you learn to say to yourself um, to, to transform the way that you think about discipline or classroom management. Mm -hmm. Well, um, oh, I, have, I have a memory of a student that um, had an anger um, reaction to failure of any sort. Um, and Rather than some some kids get real quiet and shut down and kind of just goof around and and that's a little bit more you know uh, of the regular thing I see at the age that I teach. The student was a little more explosive, 
and uh, which is more disruptive. So it's, it's definitely something you notice right away. And it's really easy to have a knee-jerk reaction to that. Uh, you know, you, know you, need, you need to leave or this is, you know, you can't do that in my classroom. That, because I think it, um, it's really hard to feel like everybody else isn't going to be affected. You're looking at the other kids. You're looking how the other kids are looking at you. Sure. How is she going to handle this? Mm-hmm. What's she going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, the kid might even be lifting up the keyboard and slamming it down. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, it's been, it was quite a few years ago now, that um, th- that was a, a situation where instead of like immediately going to the parent and saying, okay, we need to, you know, talk about the damage. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about, you know, paying me back we, or, you know, what are we going to mm-hmm. do? about this the consequences of this violence we you know i did i spent some time with with the student and and you know discovered that there was uh that there was a frustration that wasn't that difficult to solve that it was it was there was more to it than just um than just wanting to be explosive in the classroom it didn't have to do with disruption and it had to do with a frustration that was going on, and um, and that wasn't apparent until I questioned the student. So, yeah, and so so what you described and thinking differently about the student mm-hmm. is just restorative mm-hmm. in nature. You were helping him to restore something inside himself, and also um, not seeing him as a single story of anger yes. and what maybe anger conjures up for you as an individual. Right. Well, and it, it definitely, you know, when you hear somebody slamming down equipment, you know, as a teacher it's with, you know, who writes grants to get equipment, it's, it is hard not to take it personally. Sure, sure. So, um, but I think that what um, we did is we, um, you know, we talked about what he could do instead. Um, he just needed permission to not do that software program. If he was feeling frustrated, he wanted permission to stop. And it's it, it's so easy to say, well, but you can't stop. Other kids have to do it. Why shouldn't you do it? Why couldn't I just say, sure, you have permission to stop. If you're feeling frustrated, Stop doing that activity, and why don't you just, you know, why don't you go to another personal activity for five minutes or ten minutes, however long you need, mm-hmm. and now you're not frustrated anymore, and you feel better, and I feel better, and at some point you're going to be able to get back to your work. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Really, and re- really recognizing his needs as a learner and his style and perhaps his story mm-hmm. to bring him back into and and him feeling heard. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't want to do this program anymore, and you, teacher, are going to make me do it. It's like, well. Maybe, okay, I don't need to. we don't. So well, how do you feel now? Okay, wow. <laughs> yeah. So teacher of the year, where <laughs> do you go from here? What is next for you in oh, your teaching my goodness. journey? Uh, well, I would love for us to go back to the classroom. Mm-hmm. Can we do that? Yes, <laughs> me too. Um, yeah, right now I am looking forward to the... the um, the training coming up what, uh, that you were mentioning. Um, so I'm probably going to start working on that. And, and I think just training my teachers, I think, and, and the teachers in the district is really where um, making sure that we get through this. I'm just really not Together. looking very far past this year at this moment. 
Yep. We're all trying to get through, right? Get yeah. back to classrooms. So. Mm-hmm. Well, what a beautiful career you've had. We're so proud of you. And I'm so Thank glad you. that I've gotten to celebrate with you at your at your um, socially distanced car parade. <laughs> it was really yard fun. Celebration. It was really, was sweet really of you to fun come. to to be there with you and to see so many others celebrate you too. You make a difference for kids and you obviously have made a difference for a lot of your colleagues, um, which I hope today's conversation will help some others who either just need to be encouraged about what's happening for them and know that they're not in this alone, whether it's the frustration and all the things that you've so authentically, authentically expressed, but also to take some good ideas away from you and to know that they can reach out to you Absolutely. at Bancroft and yep, get some good Bancroft. ideas to sign up if, if they listen to this before the Ignite um, sessions, they'll be able to connect with you in that way too. Yeah. So thank you, Linda, for the work that you do each oh, and every day. Oh, thank We're you, just Jill. Really it's, been, you. it's been a pleasure. I'm, I feel really lucky that I, I work in Long Beach. I think that, I think we have a, a good thing here. So We do. We're mm-hmm. proud to be LBUSD, Yes, right? we are. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for joining us. If you like this podcast or are interested in future episodes, please subscribe to our LBUSD YouTube channel at lbschools.net slash YouTube and or rate us on Apple Podcasts to help others find our show. Follow Dr. Baker on Twitter at jbaker000, that's three zeros, or on Instagram at leadinginlbusd. We look forward to sharing the story of more individuals across our community in the future.